0: Back to our study in Nehemiah chapter 7. And if you have your Bibles open, we'll be starting with verse 1. We finished the sixth chapter. I'm just going to be reading verses 1 through 5, Nehemiah chapter 7. Then it was when the wall was built, and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani. And Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open till the sun is hot. While they stand guard, let them shut up the bar uh, indoors and doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station, another in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious that the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Then God put it on my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come in the first return and found written in it. And we're not going to read that whole list, but we're going to actually continue in chapter 7 next week. Let's pray again. Father, we now ask... For the anointing of your spirit on your word, on me, your servant, on these, your servants, plural, on us, your people. Lord, remove any distraction that would keep us from hearing directly from your throne and by your spirit. Lord, speak to us, we ask, and may our ears and hearts be open. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you go back to Nehemiah's first steps towards Jerusalem, it started with him what? caring. He cared about the city. He cared enough about the people to ask about the condition. And then it moved him to praying and fasting over the conditions. Then God miraculously opened a door for him to actually go and lead the effort. So he walked through that door. But it started with him caring and then praying. And then he walked through that door to lead that rebuilding effort. You remember, um, he scouted the city with a few like-minded men in the middle of the night. And he he assessed all the ruins, all the gaps. Have you ever assessed things in your life? You don't have to rise in the night, although sometimes you do rise in the night to assess things, right? You're wide awake, right? I had one of those nights last night, so if I fall asleep up here, you'll know why. But anyway, (laughs) you'll have those times. You just start praying and talking to God and assessing things. Well, he did that in the night with these few men, And they assessed all the gaps. They assessed all the ruins. He challenged the people with the need. He challenged them. He said, do you see the need with the promise of God? And they responded to that need. They responded to that promise by faith. And there was legitimate teamwork. And the process of rebuilding began. It was underway. He and the people, they resisted, if you recall. We've seen this numerous times. They resisted and we stood Numerous assaults. If you've had assaults in your life, people said things about you, you're in good company. That Jesus said that people will say things. The accusations, the many distractions that would come, the ploys of intimidation, even the threat of death. And they rallied together. Again, these are all in the previous chapters. They rallied together to pray and to seek God when times of fatigue and fear set in. In the middle of all the external battles, and there was plenty of external attacks, Nehemiah also dealt with frustrations of the sin inside the people. There was, remember, people harming and taking advantage of one another. A reminder, if Satan can't defeat and derail us from the outside, he's always going to sow discord on the inside. Amen? He'll do it in your family. He'll do it in this church family. He'll use the tiniest of things to drive a wedge. If he can't do it from the outside, he'll do it on the inside. Sometimes it seems more effective that way, actually, doesn't it? And as they were closing in on finishing the walls and gates, as we saw in chapter 6, as they're closing in, the enemy made a series of complex and well-orchestrated attacks of fear and threats toward Nehemiah personally. I mean the enemy like doubled down and tripled the a- efforts on Nehemiah. Said, I got it, I've got to take him out. In chapter 6, the focus is to take Nehemiah out, whatever it takes. But he stands firm, doesn't he? He stands firm. He refuses to cease from leading and the laboring and the work. You know, a um, I a passage that I was reading this week, I was encouraged. In Zechariah 11, it says, Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. Nehemiah didn't leave. He did not bail. He did not give in. I mean, the attacks were strong. He was dealing with that, but he stands firm. He refuses to cease from leading and laboring in the work. And on the 52nd day, which we've kind of taken as symbolic of, there's 52 weeks of the year. Uh, God's not finished with us this year, amen? There's more to be done. There's still a, a basically, you know, three and a half months left in this year. What will the Lord do? But on the 52nd day, fighting against all the fears, all the distractions, the work is finished. Doesn't it feel good when you finish something? I mean, did any of you get that euphoria when you get to cross something off a list? I mean, sometimes you need to create a simple thing just so you have something to cross (laughs) off the list. I'm not kidding about that. Say, all right, I'm just going to create one of the easiest task known to man that I can finish, so I can say I finished something. And it really is helpful. It's, it's, it's a good training thing for, for young people, but sometimes I have to do that. I say I've got to give myself a project that even I can handle here. You know, so. But when we finish something, especially if it's something significant, this is, this is something that's over nearly 100 years hasn't been accomplished. People have tried and failed. Something big, uh, when you finally finish something significant that you've worked hard on, In this case, in Nehemiah's case, were they going to say, all right, we're done. Kick back and relax. Celebrate the good times, right? Everything's done. Nothing left to do. No, because building is only the beginning in the economy of God, isn't it? Building is just the beginning in the economy of God. Those of you guys that that are up in years and God's built a family in your life, you know that once the family was established, that was not the end of the work. That was the beginning of the work, right? Now building's just the beginning. God doesn't build for formality, but for functional purpose. Did you hear that? God doesn't build for formality. There's a lot of formal aspects of religion. You ever notice that? Uh, many of them didn't come from God. He doesn't build for all that formality. Formality. It's for functional purpose. Even the things you see in the Old Testament, you say, well, there's some really specific things with the Levites and the temple. Yep, all that had a functional purpose, a spiritual purpose, something. But God does things for a functional reason, and the city now needs to be fitted and furnished. It was built, the walls are in place, everything's good to go, but now it needs to be fitted and furnished for the spiritual work. Remember, the city's not being rebuilt just to, to have a nice city, but there's a spiritual effort that God is going to do through the people. And the spiritual work follows the physical work of the wall building. From the very outset, Nehemiah needed to hear from God, right? He needed to hear way back in Persia. He needed to hear when he rose in the night. He needed to hear at each juncture in the process. He always needed to hear, Lord, what should I do next? Lord, what should I do next? And there's no, there's no difference with us. We need to hear that too, right? Every season in your life, as, as I mentioned. Uh, at least in me and my wife's life. uh, This fall, we met each other 30 years ago. She was 16. I was 19. We met each other 30 years ago this fall. We we can put our life into three 10-year chapters. But in those 10-year chapters, there's even like three-year chapters seemingly inside the 10-year chapters. Inside those three-year chapters, there's some smaller chapters inside those chapters. And We can look back and say, we needed God's guidance for this. We needed God's guidance for this. We needed God's guidance for this. And we'll need it in the future, and so will you. And so did Nehemiah. He needed to hear from the Lord at each step along the way. He needed to know with certainty that God had really called him. You need to know for certain that God has called you to whatever it is that he's called you to do. The more you know for certain, you won't doubt what actually arrows hit you. You'll just kind of remove them and keep moving. Remember, Paul, he gets bit by a snake. How do he respond? Does he fly to the ground and wail and want? No, he shakes it off. He's like, I know I'm called to teach this study tonight. Got to shake it off. By the way, the snake's always trying to bite us, isn't he? You know who that is, right? Resist him steadfast in the faith, 1 Peter chapter 5. But he needed to know, Nehemiah needed to know, for certain that God had called him, that God had sent him. You don't want to go all the way from Persia to Jerusalem. I'm not really sure if this is where I'm supposed to be. That God would bless the work. He needed the blessing of God on the work. You need the blessing of God on your efforts. And that God would prepare the hearts of the people because our lives touch other people. We have to pray, God, as we move out, that you're already preparing the way of those that we're going to come in contact with. And with this next phase, nothing has changed in that respect. He once again needs the wisdom of God. And as to how God is going to secure things, how God's going to order the next step, um, he needs the provision of God. He needs all of this to be spotlighted, a lamp unto his feet in these next steps. And when leaders are hearing from God and obeying and doing as God is directed, there's a far greater likelihood. So if Nehemiah really is hearing from God and he is obeying what God says, there's a far greater likelihood that those who the leader is leading, are also going to hear from God and are also going to obey the voice of God. Wouldn't that make sense? Like, if you know Moses is hearing from God, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to give them what God's saying, and that's exactly what happened, right? Same with Joshua, same with Paul, same with John, same with Peter. On and on we go. The leaders have to be hearing from the Lord, and it has to then be passed to the people, and Nehemiah certainly is a great example in this respect. And if you're taking notes, we're going to look at three things this morning. Seven in total uh, in chapter 7, but we'll look at four more next week. The first one today is what I've titled, Protection. Then it was, verse 1, when the wall was built, and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, the Levites had been appointed, that I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open till the sun is hot. And let them stand guard, let them shut the bar of the door and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station, another in front of his own house. Now we see in these three verses some very specific decisions and directions, instructions that are given by Nehemiah. For now that the city is... Built. What are the next steps in securing it? The project moves from repair and build mode to stabilize and protect mode. Those of you that uh, those of you that do project management, you might understand that. You want to get something to what's called steady state. Now, it's not steady state in the spiritual realm. Once you get there, it just draw an autopilot. Our steady state as believers is once we get something stabilized and in a a position where it can actually be functional, not just, hey, that's beautiful to look at. It's a great city. Can't really live in it, but it's a great city to look at, right? Then it requires the work of the Spirit in us that we move from God putting it together to then it be life-giving, if you will. But here in the city, the gates, spoken of here, he said... Uh, The wall was built. I hung the doors. The gates were essential. Remember, we looked at those those gates, each of the gates, the refuse gate, the sheep gate, all those different gates that were so important. The gates were essential for the health and welfare of the city, in some ways similar to the walls, because the walls were also very important to the health and welfare of the city. But in some ways, wouldn't you say gates and walls are functionally different, right? Gates and walls are not the same function. They do share the same function at times when gates are locked. Then they are sharing the same function. But like the walls, the gates were important, are important, for the essential protection and safeguarding the city. But if you look at doors, right? You have walls in your house and you have doors in your house. If you look at doors, gates, like doors, are designed to be what? Opened. Gates are designed to be open. There has to be ingress, egress, critical to the living health of the city. The gates have to be functional. Where things can come in, things can go out. The refuse goes out the gate. The new food supplies come in the gate. And like doors, the gates allowed materials and resources as well as people. Friends could come through. Family could come through. Neighbors, allies could come through. But just like the deadbolts on your door in your house or the front door lighting, or motion sensors all around the gate of our house, if you will, the front door, the back door, different gates, if you will, that are doors. Um, Each of these things, there has to be a strategic plan on how they're used and when they're in use. Right? You don't deadbolt it when when the family's supposed to come over for dinner. Some of you say, that sounds like a reasonably good plan. If you've seen how things go in our family, Maybe that is strategic. Uh, we should start deadbolting it and say, "Turn off lights. We're not actually home." Like, <laughs> no, that's the time you, you bring people in. All the other potential access points, such as windows, they have to be accounted for too, right? Most people, uh, you have your own uh, plan and strategic, uh, strategic reasons for keeping those things uh, monitored and how they're secured as well. But someone has to have a plan. For your home, if you're a single parent, it's going to be you. Mom and dad, it's going to be you. Whoever it is, there has to be a strategic plan for your home. Uh, as believers, I like to get those plans from the Lord. I mean, really, I, we can pray about everything, Lord. How, how do we? How much is too much? I mean, uh, do we really need to put? Uh, you ever seen like really wealthy people? They have walls all around their house and everything. I don't have any of that, right? You can walk right through our yard. The dogs do. The cats do. Everybody else's, uh, you know, all that happens. But there is a plan for the house itself. But not just physically, but spiritually we have to have a plan for the home. And the same is the case for Jerusalem and the whole of the city and these gates. And the city and the gates, they have to be well-managed, well-guarded. They have to be overseen at all times because a city is not just... One family, it's a collection of many families. It's a lot more responsibility. The higher you go up uh, in rank, the more responsibility there is. There has to be trustworthy leaders in place, faithful stewards, reliable managers have to be put in place. And this is what Nehemiah is doing here in these verses 1 through 3, putting the people in place who can oversee these things. Now, part of the solution of protection, and this is a good principle in life, Part of the solution of protection in everything in life is delegation. There has to be delegation. Why? Nobody can do it all. If one person is doing all things, there's going to be a lot of gaps. Nobody can do it all. There has to be delegation. No one can do it all. No one's called to do it all. Only Jesus is called to do it all. Amen? No one else is called to do it all or can do it all. Whether this be in our home, whether this be in church, whether it be in a business, a government organization, no one can do it all or is called to do it all. There has to be structure and there has to be some level of delegation and organization. Now, Nehemiah, he was a faithful watchman. He had a, he had a under the umbrella of watching over, shepherding over the entire project, the people. He was, he was the one that God had put the Moses of that project, if you will. And he was a faithful watchman. Every shepherd, every leader put in place by the Lord is called to watch over the flock. Every leader is called to watch over that flock. But part of watching and leading is finding those that can help and at the same time build up and strengthen the overall flock. And this is true in the home as well. If if God has given you leadership over the flock of, well, we only have two kids, or we have five kids, or we have it, then you have to have help and support, and if, whether it be your spouse, other people in the body of Christ, there has to be some level of help. But there is an importance in watching over these things, and God puts leadership responsibility over that. And so we see here some necessary leadership principles for leading the people of God. Uh, four things, the strategic, the tactical let me just put it up on the list here. Here, uh, The strategic leading, the spiritual leading, the tactical, and the practical. We actually see all of this taking place here in these first three verses. What do I mean by that? Uh, each of these four areas, why these are important. Well, spiritual, first one, he, there has to be a spiritual leading here. The world, I think you'd agree, the world has some very strong leaders. I, I've met very strong leaders. i spent... I don't know, 15 years or so in business, I met some very strong leaders, and actually ones that were not saved had what I could, best I could tell, decent integrity, strong leaders, but the world may have some strong leaders, but they don't have anointed leaders. Did you know that? The world can have some strong leaders, but they're not anointed leaders, and there is a difference. God has an anointing, and then we see in the oil is poured out on leaders in in the Old Testament. It only poured out on priests, kings, and prophets. Oil was poured out. I have never seen a business executive where they poured oil on his head. Never seen that yet. So I might try and do that and say, hey, this is now anointed, but I have not seen that take place. The world has some strong leaders, but uh, anointed leadership requires a commitment to spiritual health. So someone who's not, someone who's got some strong leadership skills, but they're not saved, they're not anointed to lead God's people, they very likely will not say, you know, how's your prayer life? They very likely will not say, are you in the Word? Is there any sin that's taken root in your life? You probably won't hear that from your unsaved boss this week, okay. right? Right? If anything, you might be asking that question of them if you got that kind of level of friendship and and, and opportunity. I wouldn't advise just doing that anytime, but uh, uh, it can happen. I've, I've, I've been in those places where the Lord can open those doors, but you definitely want the wisdom of the Spirit when that takes place. But spiritual health starts with what? It starts with obedience to God. There can never be spiritual health without obedience to God. Spiritual health starts with obedience to the Lord. And what we see here in this spiritual leading, uh, he puts in place gatekeepers, singers, and Levites. Gatekeepers, singers, and Levites. And then there's some additional delegation down to actually uh, people watching over in front of houses in specific places within the city. Now, Levites and singers, what does that mean to us? Well, you actually have the pastoral-type roles and you have the worship role here. It was just as important to the city that the bricks and foundation be put back in place, but that worship would return. Did you know that? I mean, do we just want a building here? We've got some projects we do. Well, as long as it really looks nice, who cares if we ever worship here, right? No, there has to be the spiritual component, the ministry of the word. What he was establishing is as the city is rebuilt, the ministry of the word, the ministry of prayer, sacrifices... And cleansing, because God needs to continually cleanse us. That was the ministry of the priesthood. Prayer, the Word, and sacrifice. And sacrifice was cleansing of sin. And praise. The singers were involved uh, in praise. Elizabeth Elliot used to say, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And there's there's a truth to that. The reality is that everything that anointed leadership is called to do. And by the way, if you're a Christian mom and dad, you have an anointed leadership. And everything is spiritual. You mean anything we do? Yes, you're either conveying the Lord or something else in all that we say and do. So it's all spiritual in that respect. But he's saying the city, walls are rebuilt, but we must rebuild the worship. We have to have the ministry of the word. We have to have the ministry of prayer. You know, a tornado could take the building down, but we could still meet here to pray. Amen? We don't really need all of that stuff. The spiritual is most important. Now we also have strategic, godly, and committed leaders. Have to be placed to watch over the city, over the infrastructure. Uh, in this church, in our church here, we have to have committed leaders over ministry areas. There's some things that, uh, you know, I I know Tawan, and the team uh, practiced sometime this week. I, I wasn't involved in any of that. There's all kinds of things happening that that uh, different individual people have to be leading over. But notice what's important about strategic leadership. Hananiah, the leader of the Citadel, he was a faithful man and feared God more than any. Now, here's where spiritual and strategic are tied together. When you really want to see God bless a work, not only put someone who can do the work, but most importantly, do they fear God more than many not just that they fear God, even more than others. Over many, the Bible said Caleb had a different spirit. Remember Caleb and Joshua? They, they, they thought that they could take the land. The other ten said, oh, no, it'll never happen. We can never, we're going to get smoked. Always seek the most faithful and the most pure-hearted for anything that needs to be led. The more faithful, the more pure-hearted. Now, you're never going to find perfect people. I've met... I've met some pastors that have a hard time putting anybody in any leadership because they, they raise the bar. I'm like, oh, come on. If you raised the bar too high, you would have never been doing anything. So, you know, you've got to have a bar that people can come in under and grow within that, but you still look at the heart. God always looked at the heart. He looked at David. He said, David hadn't done this or that, but he fears me, and he loves me. Therefore, he can grow into the role. You can do this with your own family members say, you know, They don't have the skills yet, but they have the heart. That's what God's looking for, is the right heart, that strategic leadership. Not the most talented person, not the most educated person, not the most well-spoken person, but integrity, genuine integrity. God will develop the rest. Let me ask you a question. Would the Lord entrust you as a watchman or a watchwoman? Would the Lord entrust you? Now, if you have a family he already has, the question is, will we respond to it? Um, God wants us to all have these same characteristics of the fear of the Lord and, and grow in it. Practical. What do we mean by, uh, or tactical? Let me see, look at tactical first. Tactical. He even gives specific advice. Those of you that, uh, that lead things, you know that you have a strategic mandate sometimes, but underneath it, you have to have tactical bullet points, right? And here, here's, where, here, here's the tactical things He said, Don't open the gates till the city's hot, till the sun is hot. He gives very specific direction. The sun has to be up and hot. I mean, blazing, the light. We can see, by the way, when the sun gets hot, the fog fades. And so enemies that could be hiding in the fog cannot be, or or they can be seen now. There's more visibility. You know, it's hard to see when the sun starts to set or early dusk, uh, just before it rises, just before it's just, it's hard to see. He said to make sure there's visible light. It burns away the fog, and we have a clear line of sight. That's tactical to say these things have to be in place. Make sure the sun is up. Make sure it's gotten hot. Keep the doors shut. Have guards at each point. So he's very granular. This is more of a tactical thing to say, all right, we don't just say, hey, you're in charge, and let the people figure it out. No, you have to have the tactical bullet points. And then lastly, the practical There is going to be a need that these gates are opened. They can't just stay shut all the time. You ever meet people that are so afraid they won't do anything? Practically speaking, you actually have to move your legs at some point. You actually have to open the gate. The fruit has to come in. The water has to come in. So he's saying, hey, these gates are important, but we're not going to keep them shut all the time. This is a living city. There has to be some practicality to it. Let's move on. The next thing we're taking a look at, potential. We look, at verse, um, uh, look at verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. The city was large and spacious. This is Nehemiah. This is his own thoughts. This is his thoughts as he looks, he looks around and he says, the city was large. It was spacious. It was a blank canvas, is what he's saying. When you look at situations, do you see limitations or do you see horizons? When you look at situations, maybe in your own life, maybe in body of Christ, maybe in this church, do you see limitations or do you see horizons? Uh, Now, there are limitations, but some people only see limitations, right? Isn't it fun to be around someone like that? All they see is limitations. I know, I know, I know. Can we say one positive thing, though, right? He says it's large, it's spacious, the houses weren't built yet. Do you see dead ends or a blank canvas of potential? Now, you also can't be this way. Do you see that everything is fine and there's nothing to do? I meet people like that too. They can, to them, everything's okay, everything's fine. There's not a single thing to be done, therefore, they don't need to do anything. Paul wrote to the church, he goes, there's actually reported some among you who are doing nothing. As far as I can tell, everything's fine. Everybody's fine. Everybody's got everything they need. I got what I need. They got what they need. Nothing needs to be done. Nehemiah didn't have that attitude because he was in the rebuilding mode. But he also didn't have the attitude to say, this is what we got. I remember the past. It all failed. No, he saw horizons. He sees potential I say it often around here, we've come a long way, and we still have a long ways to go. You've heard me say it. Uh, Lord put it on my heart at some point, point. We, and I really do. We've come a long way. I've come a long way. My wife's come a long way. Our family's come a long way. And yet, we really believe, as much as I believe we've come a long way, I equally believe we have a long ways to go. And that is not, those are not contradictory thoughts to me. How are they to you? They're not contradictory. They run on parallel planes. We see there's much more headroom for growth. We see there's much more potential. That's not a complaint or a disappointment in my mind, but quite the opposite. I'm thankful for what God has done, but I'm believing that God has only just begun. I'm thrilled and thankful for all He's done for me personally, uh, in our family, in this church, in the leaders, in the ministry areas, in many individual lives, and yet I truly believe God has much more on the horizon if we fear the Lord, trust the Lord, and walk in the Lord. I really believe that. Seeing potential recognizes the present status. Would you agree that when you see potential, it's not that you're completely blinded to the present status. You do see the present status. He sees that there's no houses or there's very few people and the houses aren't rebuilt. He recognizes that. You see the present status, you see the blessings and you see the limitations. While you also see the path to progress. You see that path to progress. And that's where you want to focus the time and energy. God will say, all right, I've brought you this far. You see that this has great. Wouldn't you agree that anything that has potential is going to take an investment of time? You ever had a coach, those of you that played sports, that really stayed on you, and you thought that they didn't like you? You ever had that? And then you found out later, No, they drove me to a better place. They actually saw the potential, so they pushed in those areas. People that love you spiritually will do the same thing. Not obnoxiously, but just kind of someone who will come alongside and say, I I know that God has this in you. You're gifted in this way. You can do this. So seeing potential, it recognizes uh, the potential, but it also recognizes that there's going to have to be an investment of energy towards that specific area. these The people do have to be returned, and the houses have to be rebuilt. And by the way, Nehemiah isn't focused um, on what the city used to be. Right? Some people are always, well, back in where I used to be, Right? that's the way, that's the way we always did it. You know, like He's not focused on the way it used to be. But what it can be with the right spiritual growth and the right dependence on the Lord. We learn from the past, but we don't live in the past. We definitely need to learn from the past, but we can't live in the past. Seeing potential is to assess and understand what God has provided and then to invest accordingly. We do need to see and assess it, and he does. He says it's spacious, but these are the things that need to be done. And I love the order. I love the order. Uh, the city was large, but the people were few, and the house were not rebuilt. The Lord put this on my heart, I don't know when. Man, last couple of years, he put it on my heart, and I think it all the time. I pray it, I think it, I always think, prayer first, people second, process is third. Prayer first, people second, process is third. Why? Well, prayer is hearing from God. If you want wisdom, does anyone here want wisdom? If you want wisdom, you'll only get it from the Word of God and prayer with God. But then God will always direct you to put people before everything else. When I meet people that, that live for their own house, everything is about their stuff. I know that people mean very little to them. I'm not saying that none of that stuff matters. We all have tasks to do. We all enjoy some stuff home project, blah, blah. I'm not talking about, no, I'm saying if that is your life focus, prayer first, people second, then processes. And there will be some processes, including property upgrades like we're going to do here. There, there are those things, but they all map back to glorifying God people. and people. And if you get those out of order, then you're just like you know, the Egyptian pharaohs building pyramids for no reason other than dead things live in them. Right? And God hasn't called us to be pharaohs. He's called us to be followers of the living Christ. Amen? But I love the order. People, then the property, then the stuff. Which brings us to the last point this morning here, patience. I could have named those other things, and with an alliteration, a lot of times I will use uh, the same letter. But um, patience. Could have, been, could have been people here too, but, uh, but I'm going to kind of bundle those together. Two things here where he says in verse 5, "...then God put it on my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, of the people, they might be registered by genealogy. I found a register of the genealogy. And those who had come in the first return, again, the first return from captivity, found written in it." And so we won't take the time to read. The first return was from Babylon. You see that in verse 6. But two things here. One, often, and this happens in many ways... (laughs) I don't know if this I don't know if you're recognizing this in your life. I I used to not recognize it, but the more I've grown in the Lord, I'll recognize it very very clearly. Often and this happens in many many ways, God will ask us to work on a next step that seems like a very significant waste of valuable time. God will have us invest time in a next step that seems like a waste of time. Lord. And I, I love when I see it in the Bible. Where I, it actually, It's a comfort to me. You guys heard of Elijah? Three years by the brook. What a waste of time, right? Moses, 40 years. This is before the second 40 years. 40 years in the wilderness, tending sheep. What? I'm, I'm saying this as we would think it in the flesh. What a waste of time. It wasn't a waste of time, right? Paul. Three years in Arabia, not out doing missions, not anything that we are aware of. There's no uh, specific ministry he was doing. Three years in Arabia. Then another eight, ten years he's not even on the scene. God has him over on a shelf somewhere. God will actually take us at times and focus us on something that seems like Lord, how long will I be in this workbook? Metaphorically working through this again and again and again and again. And it's not always, now some of that can be uh, spiritual rebellion. The Holy Spirit will tell you which is which. If it is just us being hard-headed, the Spirit will reveal that. He'll give you lots of verses to tell you where you're at. But if it's him saying, be patient and wait, this is what I want you to do, and don't rush into battle, then you'll know that too, if you're walking with the Lord. So in many ways, God will have us work on what seems to be a waste of valuable time, and that will require patience. Because a lot of times we don't want to wait, do we? The second thing, investing in people always requires patience. Did you know that? Have you learned that yet? Investing in people because you're a people, right? And people have found they need patience dealing with you and me. And it works both ways. Investing in people takes patience but it's much better. He has, God so he, he sees the look at the picture. He sees the landscape of the city. It's spacious. He put the people in place. Alright, we've got the singers. We've got the Levites. We've got the man, uh, I've got the faithful man over the citadel. I've got all the people in place. Everything's ready for us to stabilize and get moving. Now Nehemiah is a man of action. He's not Some of you guys don't like to kind of have any wasted motion, right? And then God says, "I want you to pour over these scrolls for a while." What? I just said houses need to be rebuilt, people need to move in. God, I got an action plan. I've got a ten-point plan. I've got a hundred-point bullet plan. I know how to get them in, how where to move them, how the house is going to be built. And God says, "All right, get all these scrolls out and start studying them." It's all of a sudden, hurry up and wait. And God will do that sometimes in our life. God is never in a hurry. Did you know that? He's never in a hurry. I love when you watch the ministry of Jesus. He gets more done in three years than most, well, not most, than anyone has in all of history. I don't know how I even come. But, but, but you know, the, the book of John says if all the things he did were written, all the books of the world couldn't contain it, and yet we see him stopping in Samaria spending time, sits down, someone's house, spends some time. Americans, we're so in a hurry for everything. God says, if you would slow down, I'll help you get 10 times more done. God can really do that. It's learning the patience of waiting on the work of the Spirit. If there's an urgent step to be taken, if there's an instant response, and sometimes there is, sometimes there is an urgent step to be, sometimes there is an instantaneous response, the Lord will make that clear. I've had times where God says, I don't want you to waste a single second say this. That'll, that'll be made clear. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew 10, 19, don't worry about what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. He said, you won't even have to worry about When it gets near the end times, you'll know exactly what to say at that moment. It'll be given to you. But God always has a long-term plan. We have a very short-term plan mindset sometimes. God has a long-term plan. Jesus, even when he said that, was speaking of years and decades and even centuries in advance of God's pre-designed plan. If a word of boldness, a word of encouragement, a word of faith, a word of truth, a word of kindness may be needed... And not necessarily anything else, God will make that clear at that time. But Nehemiah, remember, going back to what we started here, he was someone always listening to the voice of God. So even if it was like, all right, grab bricks and start building, he would do that. But in this case, God said, grab scrolls and start unraveling. Do you see the difference? Sometimes God says, open your Bible. I'd rather, I, I want you to spend an hour with me and I'll pay it back to you in spades, in multiplication. I don't have time to read the Bible. You don't have time not to read the Bible. You want to have more time? God says, start unraveling the scroll a little bit, looking to see what it is that I want to show you. Nehemiah has the initial project completed. He's put the protective measures in place. Now the next steps, he sees this potential. So it should be just invite everybody in, start, keep swinging hammers, right? Just invite everybody in, keep swinging hammers, build the houses, don't waste a minute. Nope. The Lord puts it on Nehemiah's heart. And notice he says it, but God put it on my heart. He was saying that I was not thinking this. I was thinking houses, blueprints, people. And God says, is it the timeout? Look through all the genealogy. The Lord t- puts on his heart to organize the people, have a clear understanding of who is who before fill- filling and furnishing the city. Like Nehemiah, our role is to patiently listen for the guidance of the Lord and to stay within his parameters. It's the safest place. As a father and a pastor, I have had numerous times where I have an urge to react. You ever have that? Just an urge to react to make a decision, to do something, to start something. And the Spirit will impress many times to me as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, will impress me, no, stop, pray, wait, and assess. If you do that, I'll make sure that the doors you walk through are the doors I open, not doors you're barging through. As it relates to what the Lord plays on Nehemiah's heart, it's also always wise to get to know people and their background before we start putting them in places. Amen? He knew the other guys, but he didn't know all the people in the genealogy here. And this, we'll look at that more uh, next week as well. But patience and planning and patience with people, God will always accelerate the timing if we follow that. Amen? Let me close with um, a poem written by uh, Raymond uh, Edmond called The Discipline of Life. And it, and it really talks about this patience that God wants us to kind of learn to exercise, hearing the voice of God before we kind of just move out and just kind of react. Well, I know this. I have this skill. If I know this, I should just do this. No. Listen to this. He says, "...in every life there's a pause that is better than onward rush, better than hewing or mightiest doing. Tis the standing still at sovereign will. There's a hush that is better than ardent speech, better than sighing or wilderness crying." "'Tis the being still at sovereign will. The pause and the hush sing a double song in unison low and for all time long. O human soul, God's working plan goes on nor needs the aid of man. Stand still and see, be still and know." You want to know that God is leading. You want to know the steps to take. And it requires that patient hearing from the Lord. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your word that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us, but also to give us the wisdom and the guidance and the counsel of your spirit. And Lord, we do live in a busy world, but you want us to stop and hear from you how to take steps of protecting our own spiritual walk, those you've entrusted us with, Lord, that we would see potential, not limitations, but we would see that you have far, a far greater work that you want to do. We're thankful for what you started, but you want us to see that the work is far from complete, that there's a fitting, there's a stabilizing, there is a life-giving work that you want to breathe into us and those around us. And, Lord, lastly, we want to learn that patience. There's times where you want us to sit still long enough to hear you. And, Lord, then you will multiply the time in doing so. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us in these spiritual areas of discipline, Lord, that we would truly fear you more than many and grow in the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord. And we just thank you for this time and your word It's so faithful and true. We pray you continue to use this study as we grow in your grace. Hey, before we close in song, I know this was not a salvation message, but as your heads are bowed for just a moment, just in you never know. God could have spoke to somebody about, you know, I don't, you keep talking about hearing from the Lord or, you know, being an impression from the Holy Spirit or leading or guiding. I don't know what that means. I don't have a desire to open the Bible. I don't have a desire to pray. Well, I didn't either until I became born again. I had to first say yes to Jesus first, and then I had a desire for the scriptures. Then I have a desire to please God. Then I have a desire to worship then I have a desire to raise my hand in song. and I don't have a desire to listen to music that honors the Lord. Then I don't have a desire to tell people about Jesus. I had none of that desire until I said yes to the Holy Spirit saying, Come, confess your sins and call upon the name of the Lord. Is there anyone here and you're here today and say, that's me? I want to just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's anyone here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this has not been a salvation message. This has been a message to believers. Most of Nehemiah is. But the Word of God, the Holy Spirit has a way of speaking through any passage that can bypass the central theme of what I'm teaching to get to what you need. Anyone at all? For the rest of us, if we're all, if we all know the Lord, praise the Lord. But I do pray that you're taking these studies that we're doing in Nehemiah to heart uh, I share with a couple of men they've been a really I love the Lord, I know God's called me I know God's called me to lead I know God's called me to to share the gospel I know all that, but this this has been a living breathing, working book for me, even though I've read Nehemiah numerous times in the past um, I like hearing directly from the word of God I don't have anything against some of the great books that have been written by good Christian authors but this book of Nehemiah, God is speaking to me personally a lot of ways. I hope he is to you too because the word of God is better than anything written by men. Did you know that? It really is. Uh, there was one Christian apologist. They was asked, they, he, people ask him all the time, what's the greatest book you've ever written for studying and understanding spiritual truths? He says, the Bible. It is the word of God. And I pray that it's sinking deep into you. Why don't you stand as we close in song?